Oh, so take two. <laughs> the mics are on this time. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Racing Podcast, where we follow the jaunts and japery of our World Cup racing team as we go from place to place and town to town. On this podcast, we have me, Henry Quinney, and this week I'm joined by team manager extraordinaire and non-euphemistic trailer packing expert, Mr. Ben Cathro, as well as Pink Bike's very own James Smurthwaite. Now, in this podcast, we try and keep it authentic, so we just get some hot coffee, we pull over the van en route to our next stop, and we talk about all the things that have just past both as an honest assessment of our own race as well as a reflection of the event as a whole now this time we're on the roadside next to lord's train station as we drop off james so there might be some traffic noise and if you listen carefully you might be able to hear the odd citron breaking down but let's get on to the race so firstly ben let's talk about the timing of the event because it's early season and in some ways the organizers were playing with fire because if it had rained they would have been slated due to the events of five years ago where we had a very badly affected race by the weather. But there were other teething problems too. So the weather was beautiful. It was it was a great success on that front. But can you just talk about the rider's experience of the uplift service and practice? So yeah, the timing was super early for us. And yeah, like you said, the weather was actually amazing and it was perfect, like it wasn't too warm wasn't too too like sweaty that you normally get a lot of European races and uh, yeah they kind of they kind of worked really well but a lot of teams were struggling to get parts and things like that because it was a lot earlier than we're used to but then uh, when we all got there it was brilliant apart from that one thing which was the uplift and for those that don't know how it works there there's a funicular system running with two cars on a cable system and it's about 20 minutes, I think, 15, 20 minutes for each car to go up past the other one in the middle and then reach the top. And you can fit, oh, I think it was about 30, 40 people in each one. And it was about 300-something riders. And the maths didn't add up. No. So, uh, yeah, I went to go up for my first practice run on the Friday. And I was in the queue for over two hours, two hours yeah. and 15 minutes. And I have three hours to practice so it was not ideal and in in a normal world cup practice session mm. how many runs could you get if, if you wanted to um kind of depends on the event the speed of the uplift the length of the track how much you want to look at but uh i would say in like a proper a practice and time training session riders could if they wanted to if they wanted to get about eight runs but i'd say most people aim on the first day to get around about five I think that's the kind of average. Mm. And so what was what was the, the consequence of that for the riders, do you think? Do you think that kind of people were actually feeling on track? Do you think there was a, a genuine feel of like, oh my God, I've got to make these ones count because I'm only going to get sometimes as little as two mm. for a World Cup practice session, which is an outrage because, you know, we, we did the State of the Sports survey. Mm. We're like, wow, there's not really enough money in mountain biking. Then you go to World Cup and it's like a two and a half hour wait for an uplift and it's like oh this is why there's no money around biking we think it's this professional worldwide sport yeah. and we can't even get up we can't even get up the hill it seems kind of bizarre right yeah. well I, I think it is, it's interesting how races get selected and it is a lot to do with towns applying or venues applying to run a world cup and obviously the people that run Lourdes are just very very keen to get everyone 
to the Pic du Jour to race down the hill. And uh, it does work, but just not as smoothly as uh, as we'd like it to. So, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I and mean, We hadn't really heard about it being this bad back in 2016, 2017. Uh, but I think this year there was just more riders, um, more people, and it just didn't. Yeah, run smooth. but it's it's basic math though, right? Mm. We know how many riders there are, how many people it can carry, how often it runs, mm. and how long practices. It's not maths basic enough for me to do, mm. but someone out there mm. has got a scientific calculator and can can work this out. Something I did see, which hmm, I didn't think was pretty. I didn't think it was very cool, mm. uh, and to sort of maybe kind of call it out a bit. Although I doubt I doubt they're listening anyway. <laughs> but a lot of the big teams were going up with their riders which is great and even I think like holding a place in the queue is kind of okay mm. but as, what they were doing was as soon as the riders were going up they would join in the back of the queue double booking which was double, it was toilet paper 2.0 it was it was too much and I thought honestly I thought that was widening the gulf between the support level of the privateer and because mm. where does it stop and what was happening is some of them were getting to the front going oh my god I'm going to have to do a run yeah because the riders not down in time, yeah. <laughs> and it seemed the most <laughs> bizarre situation. <laughs> and honestly, I just thought, I thought that was lame. Mm. I thought I didn't think it was very fair. Yeah, I think I think this race is already really hard on privateers because it's it's so far removed from the rest of the season. You know, like mm. if you're a North American privateer, you're booking flights here and back just for one weekend of racing. You know, mm. like if you've got a European season where there's I don't know, three or four in a row, you can. You know, come over here, have a van, do three or four races, tour around, and then fly back. But, you know, the privateers aren't going to hang around in Europe for for eight weeks waiting for Fort William, you know. So already there is quite a big financial outlay for them. Mm -hmm. And then to get here and be disadvantaged by the actual kind of logistics of the race. um, Yeah, I mean, it's not great, you know. Like, I think Lord offers a lot. Like, there's not many venues where you're getting... I, I don't know how many people were here yesterday, 10, 15,000 or something. So like, you know, it's a good track. There's definitely advantages here, but it feels like they should be able to get the basics right. I mean, when I was in the funicular, I heard some Southern Hemisphere riders talking about, well, they said two things that are very interesting. Firstly, they described one of the jumps as French and everyone knew which one it was. <laughs> 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 it's basically a bit sketchy, which is probably fair, probably not anyone that's ridden in Morzine sometimes knows that that's just that's just the way it goes and also they said you know and i think it's a fair cop they're coming over from australia new zealand yeah. they're like mountain biking this is a world cup mm. i i do understand because i think once we get into the height of the season having a lot of condensed rounds in europe i think does make sense because it is you go to one place and you can get between them mm. um there are tweaks in the calendar which which maybe aren't that helpful but largely i think it's, it's quite a good thing but for this one that you're only coming over for one anyway mm. it could be anywhere why not have it in expanding markets in Asia or something? Do something really different. Mm. But instead, it's going to somewhere we're going to be a couple of hours from when we're in Andorra. Mm-hmm. It's going to be... Imagine coming all this way and getting two runs in your first day practice. Mm. You'd be livid. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, um, <laughs> it's funny, there's a bit of a, an unsung hero. Um, a guy called John Stout, who I love. I love dearly. He's a man that is... He has many eccentric peculiarities. Like, he... Um, he only views vegetables as vessels for human hummus and like, that's that's how he operates but he did something really interesting that his rider wanted to walk the track again and they wouldn't let him on the funicular because it was like you know, five minutes after practice had ended mm. and it was already a delayed practice anyway mm-hmm. sorry an extended practice 
And so he said to the rider, you put the e-bike in turbo mode and barely wait the pedals to get up. And I'm just going to like power march myself to the top of this hill and just ran up the track to meet the guy and just scrabbled up there. That's not an exaggeration. He genuinely came running past us as we were walking the track. <laughs> just, John, what are you doing? Go e-bike at the top. Go, go get it. <laughs> we only got, we only got about halfway down. He was already sailing past us on the e-bike. It was well impressive. Yeah, he's, um, he's some boy and, I think you know, we, there was a time when John and I used to work together and if you wanted to go riding with him you did it with the prerequisite that you knew how to put a shoulder back in because everyone would be like my shoulder's out my shoulder's out like, oh god John no not again <laughs> not again um, but it was a fascinating race now James you are certainly a man of the stats but let's not let, let that belie your passion for downhill racing now who is a rider if we put the stats to one side that got you really excited this weekend well, it's tough to say because I, I wasn't allowed on the funicular. Uh, you know, the situation was so bad. They were only letting people with, with bikes go on. So say, I work for Pink Bike, don't you know? <laughs> and they said, back of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> the actual mayor was there stopping people getting on. So, yeah, because Amy, Amy, our team rider, was trying to get up. And uh, she said this guy stopped her in a fancy suit with lots of gold on it. And uh, she said, I am the mayor, you're not going up. <laughs> and she left. So, don't know, so they wanted to have it, I think, two weekends later. But I believe it was the mayor, mayoral elections. Yeah. They were just like, kind of have this weekend. And that's one, that's one of the reasons it's just so early. Um, yeah. I think, like, especially like a track like this, like Leagang Gang 2016, you could probably get away with two practice runs because, like, everyone knows the track. They've all been there before. It's hard packed, so it's not going to change that much. But this track, it felt like it was kind of changing hour by hour, you know, like holes were developing, it was getting kind of beaten up. Um, jumping ahead a bit, Cade said after his race run, it was like riding a, a totally different track to the one he'd even ridden that morning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, on a track like this, like really, really hard. But to go back to your question, sorry, I was excited to see how riders on new teams got on. So, you know, Luca to Canyon, the new Luck Syndicate, things like that. I was also excited to see how maybe more under the radar French riders got on. They were guaranteed to get like massive support. So someone like um, Benoit Coulange mm. or uh, Antoine Vidal or uh, Matilda Bernard in the in the women's um, riders like that. I thought, you know, let's see how they kind of rise to this occasion and, and use the crowd to kind of spur them on. Yeah, I really got a soft spot for Benoit Coulange. I really like the way he operates. He doesn't seem to be, I mean, it's, it's no criticism either way, but he just seems to be kind of doing his own thing. He's not necessarily like a big social media mm. guy or someone that's putting out sick edits but actually he's just somebody that can podium he was very close to winning world mm. champs he was you know on the podium again this weekend and he just seems it seems like it's only a matter of time before he wins one mm. and i really hope that's the case because i feel that dorval team is doing something really cool i think it was 2018 when they started because they originally i think the year before they were i can't remember what brand it was but they wanted like some gearbox bikes Cavalry, yeah, yeah. And I think going into the 2018 season, and I might be wrong in this, but when they started that team, I think they had outside investment. They just said we're going to buy the bikes we want to ride, and that's Mm. how the commentar thing started. Mm -hmm. And now they're this powerhouse. Mm. The pits are getting bigger, but they still—they're not some. It's not like a like a a petting zoo where people looking from the outside. It Mm. seems to be discreet under the radar, and it seems like a family-run team that just happens to be racing an extraordinarily high level. And I just, there's something about that I just think super cool yeah. yeah I know Benoit had some offers from other teams this year bigger teams and he said that I like I like where I am uh, mm. I think it's going to get me to where I want to go and uh, yeah I'm happy at Dorval and I think that's 
kind of the biggest endorsement you can give really mm. yeah he's a racer through and through though like you're saying he's not showy doesn't kind of make big grand you know claims or anything like that he just quietly goes about his work and he's just been getting faster and faster each year and I don't know if he's just going to carry on that progression it certainly seems like it mm. yeah I, I think in I think racers get to that point where they have one or two breakout results mm. and it's like are they going to become a mainstay of the top 10 or a flash in the pan. Mm. It felt like for him it was probably 2018 or 2019 mm. and he, he went down the, the mainstay and it's amazing, you know, seeing riders, I think it's just amazing, people, you know, a good example is someone like Troy Bosnan and Danny Hart who just been at the top mm. for so long. Like, qualifying for one of these things is so hard. Mm. Getting on the live feeds, the top 30 is so hard but to be a consistent top, top 10 rider for years mm. is absolutely amazing. Mm. I, I, it blows my mind it's just so many factors involved isn't it it's not just you know riding fast it's staying healthy you know having the bike set up right having the kind of I don't know prep and everything to do it on different tracks as well like some riders I know myself I would turn up to a certain track do really well get like a top 20 and then get to another track and not qualify but feel like I tried just as hard mm-hmm. and rode just as well so yeah doing it everywhere is super impressive super impressive so yeah let's talk about the racing now we're going to start off with the junior women so for me I was sort of I was I mean kind of surprised at the winner if I'm honest with you mm. you kind of I feel like in the junior women's at the moment you've got the three kind of big hitters which are Phoebe Gale Isabella Yankova and Vanessa Petrovska and I thought the winner would come from one of them but it didn't it came from Canadian Gracie Hemstreet and by some margin. Seven seconds back to Gail, who won qualifying, and nine seconds back to Isabella Yankova, who's on that new Gen S specialised team. Mm. In my view, it feels like she's flown under the radar a bit. But Ben, mm. you're familiar with the riding. Yeah. So we filmed one of the junior races at Lenza Heidi last year with a name to do a knockoff live feed, the, the ping bike live feed of the junior race. And... Uh, we positioned people with phones all down the track, recorded it all, and then I spent the whole race day stitching it together and then found out we weren't allowed to release it, unfortunately. But I think it might sneak onto the internet at some point, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, maybe when Discovery finally takes on the rights. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Gracie was one of the riders we filmed. And I remember I was filming at the jump section and she came through like super stylish scrubs, really controlled. And then I think she podiumed at that one. I think she was third. Mm. So she's definitely had some results in the past in her first year of racing in junior. And she's just really come on strong this mm. year on the new Norco program. And she seems to be really gelling with the bike. And she's got a mechanic, Lewis Kirkwood, who's from Scotland, who I know really well. Seems to be getting on with him. And yeah, she's just clearly going fast. Yeah, yeah. great stuff. It's great to see a BC, a BC rider mm. coming in and doing it well. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, you mentioned Discovery there. And I saw they were, they were, they were, a couple of the Discovery people were out seeing, mm-hmm. what, they, seeing what they could improve, maybe, yeah. and <laughs> seeing how they do things differently. Yeah. And a bit of a scouting one for the race. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, obviously we're going to see in due course what that looks like mm-hmm. but um, yeah it looks like it's going to be the sort of similar to the EWS setup maybe but we'll see yeah. in good due course I was trying to get some information out of Rory Cunningham who does a lot of the EWS mm-hmm. stuff was not seeing a thing <laughs> he was like obviously there's going to be big changes but you know, I can't see <laughs> it's like come on <laughs> yeah. and did you say where was it Gracie is from yeah, it kind of, it, it, she's BC, uh, so the Norco connection is really cool to see. Um, 
part of that new young generation coming up. Um, but yeah, her her dad is the owner of Coast Gravity Park, mm. so she's been brought up on bikes. It doesn't surprise me she was good in the jumps and lens high. Mm. Um, but yeah, clearly she's she's onto a good program there. I don't think she did the full series last year but if she's flown over from North America for this one it seems like she'll be doing the full series this year so yeah I think her Phoebe Gale Isabella Yankova I think uh, and Petrovska as well I think it's going to be a real big battle in the junior mm. women's this year I think it's yeah. going to be a really good category to watch Vanessa really impressed as a first year junior as well um, I think did she finish in fourth yes fourth yeah. fourth and yeah not that far back off the other two girls so she's definitely one to watch out for I thought it was great it kind of you know, I think being able to sort, not necessarily fly under the radar because all these riders are fantastically talented in their own right, mm. but it's one hell of a way to start a season. Mm, absolutely. And uh, I think you mentioned to me that uh, Isabella was like the favourite, obviously, coming into this round. Uh, World Champ last year, World Cup Series winner on the new specialised programme. I wonder if she started to feel any pressure because in the Breed Cup a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, she crashed at that in a race run. And then this race at the World Cup, um, I actually heard she crashed in qualifying day and dislocated her finger. Mm. So she's definitely pushing hard. And wonder if a few mistakes are coming through and she maybe just needs a few races to kind of settle into the new programme. I wonder if it's always good to have that experience as a junior woman, though. Like, I think that'll set her up really well now that the cameras are on her um, and people have the, those expectations on her. Like, it's probably pretty good practice for that step up right getting used to the pressure yeah. <laughs> but I think it's why I think having a good dollop of adversity is only going to will pay dividends maybe not immediately but it will come back in due course um, and it's great to see such competitive junior women's field it felt mm. like maybe five years ago to honest, sometimes it was struggling for numbers mm. if I'm honest with you yeah. I think in 2017 if I remember rightly all the female junior finishers got on the podium yeah. put it that way I've seen that and it's it's, I mean, it, it is what it is, and fair play to those for turning up and riding and racing, mm. but it is great to see a more competitive field. Absolutely. And I, I'm so excited to see the elite women's field in five, mm. ten years' time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an amazing place. Mm-hmm. Um, now, speaking of the elite women's field, we saw a very competitive race. Tight times. We had Camille Blanche winning on 3.19, but only 0.6 ahead of Miriam Nicole, who was only point two ahead or point three ahead of Tiny Seagrave and then Valley Hole was just about half a second off Tiny Seagrave as well so very very close Camille Blanche winning the opening round of the World Cup Series again on that new common cell which looks to be going very very well and Miriam Nicole had an interesting race not only did she have a huge moment um, which she managed to save but she's also looked like she's flying all weekend and really really pushing I think yet again looking back a few years I don't know. Sometimes she seemed to be a very, very um, incredible rider, obviously. But sometimes maybe a bit conservative at times. But it feels like these last two or three years, that's gone. Like mm. she, from first run at practice, it was like, mm. oh my goodness, she is cracking on. She did have a crash at some point. James, can you just talk about what you were seeing kind of on social media and about behind the scenes a little bit? Uh, yeah, I don't know all the details around it but uh seen pictures of her helmet covered in mud and a picture taken at i don't know something like half 11 uh, of her lying down in a darkened room with like an ice pack on her head i think it, it seems pretty likely she suffered a, a, a concussion and i think you know if you're there having to be in a darkened room two hours before you go and do a world cup race run you should probably reconsider doing that run to be honest mm. and 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to define what a concussion is. Like, uh, as part of our team, um, we've been doing some baseline tests with the riders, and uh, we've been working with a doctor, Ewan Ro- Rossi. Uh, he runs the Crankworks pro- protocols for concussion, and uh, we did some baseline tests with our riders, and then we would then compare their baseline tests, the cognitive tests, with uh, a new test if they were to hit their head. And then the difference between those tests would tell you how concussed they were. And that's something I imagine all teams are doing. But from what we've heard, it was the UCI that tested her. And I don't know if the UCI are doing baseline tests for all the top riders. I know I certainly haven't done a baseline test with them. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. But lying in a darkened room with ice pack on your head just before your race run doesn't sound... That even for you know, we often think about the responsibility of teams maybe in the context of juniors or up and coming riders mm-hmm. but who's as a team manager speaking to one of the fastest women ever to race elite downhill mm-hmm. she's obviously got so much experience do you think the team manager should in that situation say no not today do you think they have that or do you think it depends on team to team I, I think it shouldn't be left to the team manager to be honest um, they just want to sell bikes Bikes, bikes, bikes. <laughs> not, not, not this one. <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they, but, but I mean, they do have an investment in their rider compete. I don't think they wish ill will on their rider, but you know, their rider gets eight chances a, a year to show their stuff. Obviously, the rider's gonna want to race. They've got the overall to think about. You know, even if they're they're saying, "Oh, I'll, I'll take it a bit chill," and you know, maybe just go for points or whatever, but. It needs to be taken out of their hands completely, you know. There needs to be something independent in place that says, nope, sorry, you don't get a say in this. Like, here's the line, you're over the line. Um, mm. it's, it's not happening today. Without mm. sounding a bit oversimplistic and maybe a bit heavy-handed, do you think there's space for something like, you know how in the EWS you only get, you, your rims get stickered mm. and your forks get stickered? You know, I've always found it a bit uncomfortable when I've seen riders turn up with two, say, absolutely ready to go Red Bull full sponsored helmets I'm like why if you need more than one something mm. may have gone awry uh, yeah I, I would say there are situations where maybe I don't know you smack a peak off or something like that or maybe just scrape the helmet or drop it on the ground in the uplift queue and chip the paint off where potentially a second helmet is a good thing but uh, it's it's hard to quantify head impacts um, so having a spare one I don't think is necessarily a really bad thing mm. but it can be abused for mm. sure and it seemed like Miriam had a fresh one for, for her race run so yeah it, it's a tricky thing and um, we were talking earlier about uh, ways to actually keep track of these things and there's companies now coming out with accelerometers you can attach to your helmets so that you can because in the track. trip bike team yeah. we have we do spontaneous trivia that's how we, we track our riders. <laughs> we just say, who directed Titanic? And they go, uh, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, you're out of the race. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah, I failed that test, unfortunately. So <laughs> that, that is why I didn't race. But yeah, these accelerometers, so what would they do? Would they basically just say, kind of give an idea, objective yeah, data? Yeah, because yeah, uh, it has to be objective, because opinion can't really come into head injuries because it's so hard to see what's actually going on inside the head you know it's got thick skull around there unless we're doing MRI tests of each individual person before each run it's like hard to do so yeah uh, a device to measure the impact forces that have gone through the head and into the helmet 
would give whoever makes the decision some quantifiable data. Mm. And so looking, you know, towards the actual racing itself, moving away sort of just the Nicole issue, or not issue necessarily, but the, the, her race, Camille Blanche absolutely smashed it again. Mm. As Rob Warner mentioned in the live stream, she only came to downhill racing in 2018. Mm -hmm. She's now a world champion. She's a multiple world cup winner. Do you think she could be a threat for the overall this year? Like, you know, could she really piece it together? I think she's the kind of rider that is super consistent, super controlled, obviously fast. Um, but I feel like there are there's always someone that appears that almost rides like beyond what's normal. So there was another elite woman, Marine Cabaru, who's kind of still coming back, still rising to the boil mm. after a back injury. Mm -hmm. um, she was still really close I think it's great to see again such a competitive women's field the racing is so close she was a few seconds back off Valley Hall mm -hmm. who I think Valley was maybe up some of the splits and came down just a little bit a little bit further behind do you think that the, there's any way so going between Blanche, Nicole Seagrave Holt and Cabaru do you think there's room for anyone else to kind of have a look in for the overall this year or do you think it's going to come for one of those riders mm -hmm. I think when if if Nina settles into that syndicate team, I think we'll see her back at the sharp end of things this year. Apparently, she spent two weeks with Steve Pete at Revolution Bike Park, getting just learning, basically learning racecraft and basically how to feel really comfortable on big jumps, which could actually make you know get some somewhere like maybe a bit more. I mean, there are some big hucks here, but somewhere a bit more bike parky mm -hmm. could could really reap dividends. Well, ever she's this is her like her first big team, you know. Like so, when I think she first came onto the scene, she was on a, a Juliana program. Then she did the self-supported thing for the past couple of years. I imagine it takes a little while just to find your feet in a team like the Syndicate. You know, so much heritage there. It'll be a totally different way of doing things. Um, and you know, maybe she's treating this one as just kind of getting her feet on the ground and and working it all out. But she's now got kind of eight weeks of train as all of them do. Eight weeks to build up to Fort William. I think, um, yeah, I think she'll she'll be one to watch this year. I think uh, Matilda Bernard looked really good as well, French rider here on French soil. She, um, yeah, she looks strong in qualifying and in in race runs. I think she's the maybe the next rider to break into that that top echelon. Mm. Mm. It usually seems like in uh, over the season, one rider will just find their form and find their confidence and kind of rise above the rest. But right now, it is just looking super competitive. Super competitive. So Camille's the kind of rider who will just always be quite consistent, but there may be a rider that just has a good race and then just lifts things up just a little bit further. And it feels like Miriam could be that one, given mm. her mistakes and her crash before a race and still being so close. pretty close. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So going on to the junior men, we have another BC rider, um, Jackson Goldstone, putting down one hell of a run. Storm of a run. And immortalised himself with the words at the bottom, that was the best run of my life! Which I think is so sick. Let's go! He was absolutely <laughs> pumped. Um, he did a time that would have put him in, I believe, about 11th in elite. Mm -hmm. The track was deteriorating slightly. If you watched through underneath the funicular on that left-hander, at the start of the day, there was no dust. Mm -hmm. By the time it got to the you know the sharp end of the elites, there was a big cloud of dust, mm. and of course that that's going to help, but also impede in other ways. Mm. Um, I imagine it was probably just gone past that sweet spot of grip, the point where it was starting to get a bit looser. But he had a great run and putting three seconds into Mayor Smith, Jordan Williams coming behind in third. 
I thought maybe Jordan Williams, I kind of thought he might take the win this weekend. He had a really strong mm. show at end of last season. Mm-hmm. He's on that Saracen team, seems really comfortable there. Mm. And I wondered if he would just pip him, but Jackson Goldstone seems to have a pretty tight grip on that field at the moment. Yeah, he is riding super well. We saw him at the start and his precision over the first kind of squash bump and first jump and how casually he did it. He just mm. looks incredibly comfortable. And I think it's been a while since there's a junior knocking on the top 10. Mm. Like uh, I remember in the past, Brendan podiuming when he was in a, a junior and, and Connor Fearing did as well. Troy Brosnan maybe got a couple mm. top 10s as a junior. Uh, but it's so competitive now at the top at the top end mm. that it's getting harder and harder for a junior to do times that close to the elites. So, yeah, amazing. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, Finals, who was maybe the last really shit-hot junior to kind of go straight into, if you know what I mean. Mm. He feels like he really dominated the juniors, him with also Matt Walker. Matt Walker. Yeah. Um, but Finals, you know, just we will come back to the, the junior men. He seems to have just taken a few years to really find his rhythm in elite. Mm. Like, he's got podiums and he's obviously been incredibly successful. Mm. But it feels like just he's still he's still on the up and up mm-hmm. and he's still getting faster and more controlled and, you know, and more of a threat for the more consistent maybe. He's maybe finally stopped trying to beat Loic and just race his bike fast. <laughs> mm. Yeah, he's definitely had a bit of checkers and checkers or wreckers going on like the past few years. But I think the difference was really noticeable this weekend like mm. definitely looked a lot more in control yeah mm. composed and fast rather than just really fast <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean the junior men's field like we said is I mean all the fields this weekend have been, been really close but yeah Jackson also put down one hell of a run apparently he had a whole Red Bull to himself on the way up and it really really worked <laughs> the size of him that's that's an OD <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah right I think like He's probably still got some kind of bulking out to do, you know. Like mm. he's, um, he's, you know, he's far from peaked, is what I'm saying. Like mm. there's, there's still more to come from Jackson for sure. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. And on to the elite men, we saw Amory Pirion. He's back in a big way. In a big way. I mean, you could tell how much it meant to him in that finish oh, arena. Yeah. And when it, when it got the win as well, he won by around a second to finals than Luke Bruni, Benoit Coulange, and Lucas Shaw. So starting with just starting fifth with Luca, new team. Mm. It feels like, it feels like I don't know. Maybe with Troy not being there, it was really important for Canyon to get that big result. Mm. And at the time, he he went fastest, and it was one hell of a run. Only to then be um, surmounted by Benoit Collange, who again mm. flies under the radar. But I really feel like I think it's only a matter of time. And I thought he might have won it today. Amory Piron though was seemed to be just the right, right man to lose. Coming over that crest, unclipping letting it drift and just being absolutely pinned I think that was kind of almost a scary thing is he he had pace to burn right so that everyone who went after him went quicker second split they were up on him on second split um, and then fell away because his bottom section was so good but like you know Piron maybe lost second and a half there and mm. still took the win he was yeah the pick of the bunch by far he's so strong and powerful and you can just see at the bottom he was not fatiguing at all mm. he was just powering on to the finish and he looked like he was the fastest out of those two bottom turns like I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he made like half a second just on those two bottom turns because he squashed the living crap out of that bottom jump and still like like cleared it perfectly mm. it was super impressive he being on that new common cell now that's <laughs> had a very good start 
Mm. It, you know, first World Cup and it's won both fields, which is pretty amazing. It's also got, I suppose, four podiums mm. out of 10 spots. That ain't bad. So we actually caught up with Max Comensal, who's the owner of the brand. And this is what he had to say regarding his new downhill bike. So Max, two wins today on the new bike. How are you feeling? Hey, I cannot, could not hope a better start for the bike. And uh, I'm so happy because it's really uh, the work of the, all the staff. They did all, all this winter. But um, our competitors are also strong, so but I'm happy. Happy to it. You must always. have had um, a few nervous moments watching them. It was pretty wild up there. Yeah, yeah. always. Long, long time that I go on the races and uh, that I um, love the races for that. To uh, to have um, adrenaline and to uh, yes to, to try to to help the riders and to, to make the best bikes. So fantastic, fantastic, and uh, and the crowd and the, all the people. I think I never, never saw so many people before. Yeah, never. I always say Paul Williams, the best world. Paul Williams. That's not the case anymore. It's the <laughs> French. It's Leger and it's Lords <laughs> now, right? Like no, no. I think this year will be crazy. If we have the chance to, that if nothing can disturb our life, you know, because uh, sometimes the life is sad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if we have the chance that the things can go well. Okay, I think that the season we live will be uh, amazing. What do you think it means for Amory to win in front of this like French crowd, his home crowd? I think Amory, if I had to uh, to gamble on someone, it was for Amory. Yeah. All right, because Amory uh, wanted this victory. Yesterday, I'd been a little bit injured. Yeah. At the foot. On the, the last jump. Yes. But. Uh, they are warriors, all these riders, and I have a lot of respect for uh, for Finn, for Louis, for uh, Loris, for all of them. Okay, and uh, I think that the, the battle this year will be uh, amazing. I can't wait. It's going to so, be uh, so. Yes, very happy. Thank you very much. Now back to the elite men. A rider who did have a really strong race, but was under a huge amount of pressure this weekend, was Loic Bruni. James, can you just talk us through sort of what his weekend must have been like? Yeah, I mean, I think going into finals, he was like the rider to beat. Like he won qualifying by 1.2. I think only five riders got even within four seconds of him. Like there's no doubt like he was flying. But yeah, the the pressure must have been immense. I mean, you guys were, you were pitting opposite specialised. Mm. And on, on kind of race day morning, it felt like Loke was almost confined to the team truck. You know, every time... He went out into the awning where the bikes and mechanics are. There were, you know, fans like they're on the Vuvuzelas going ba 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 and asking for autographs and for stickers and for photos and things like that. You know, fifteen thousand spectators came and every single one of them was felt like they were there for Loic. You know, mm. it was like a football crowd during his run. You know, mm. there's pressure at every World Cup, but you know, he must have been feeling like five, ten times an old oh. pressure with with all those eyes on him you know and it must be emotionally draining i mean you know in the height of my gmbn days i once got recognized in lidl <laughs> about a week to recover i'm <laughs> 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 joking aside no one's ever recognized me at all lidl or otherwise um but no it must be enormously depleting always having to be on always having to put on a front yeah. and never being able to sure. just just relax but it, and it wasn't just race day i mean it's obviously each person only does it with 
very pure intentions because they're just super passionate about the racing and they're big fans. Mm. But a thousand individuals really wanting their 30 seconds with Loic, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. Yeah, to be clear, I think it's actually one of the great things about the sport, you know, like the riders, you know, these people's idols, you know, they just walk through the pits and you can chat to them and they'll take a photo with you, mm-hmm. you know, like compare that to like football or, or Formula One or something, like the access you can get, you know, you can mm-hmm. just, you just go up to a pit and, you know, lean over and watch the bikes being worked on. I think that's a great part of downhill, but it is another element that, you know, riders like Loic just have to, to battle with uh, on a weekend when they're on home soil like this. I'm super grateful. It was a good fan filler having them opposite our pits because uh, they just went straight to specialise. <laughs> <laughs> so we had it nice and easy. Our riders were just super chill and could focus on the race. So cheers, Luke. But that leads us on to Pink Bike Racing. So it was our first World Cup. We got there. Mm. We put up the tent. Nobody's wheels fell off. And we, we leave after... Maybe not... It was a weekend that was successful beyond in ways other than just just the, the timings mm-hmm. I, think, I think it was a really good weekend for the team Ben do you want to just talk it through from the team manager point of view have you got any corporate lines you want to sell so thanks to my V10 and my continental tyres <laughs> we're not allowed to talk about the tyres oh yeah they don't <laughs> not, exist not for a wee bit we just went on rims <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was really interesting for me because uh, my assumption pre-season was uh, get bikes choose riders get them to the race jobs are good but it turns out there's just loads and loads of little things that you have to make sure are organized and sorted from the food to the shuttles taking people to and from the race to i don't know even little things like uh the mechanics need tire sealant and i thought three bottles will be plenty but no just like changing tires setting up spare wheels and there's lots of things that it was just a huge learning curve Mm. to be honest this first event so yeah, a lot of lessons taken by everyone from this first race. And uh, yeah, we'll take it into Fort William. And even like, it was just cool seeing uh, one Tebow just absolutely sailing through the event, super professional, worked really well with his mechanic, figured some things out. Only thing that kind of let him down was a little bit of arm pump, which just meant he couldn't race to what he felt was his mm. potential this weekend. So he knows what to sort for Fort William. And then seeing Amy as... A fresh rider, never ridden outside the UK, turned up to Lourdes, loads of spectators, seen all her idols all racing, and uh, she just dealt with it so, so impressively. It, it was amazing to, I mean, not that we expected anything different as we get to know her, but she wasn't overawed by it. She was just, oh yeah, I'm just racing World Cup, up I go. Mm. And I, that was, I thought was so cool, because mm-hmm. I, would, I would have been in bits at 16. And yeah, we were talking about how uh, in Scotland there's not many big jumps. No. So uh, we took her to some uh, cool well, bike, bike parks Dude, out here. She yeah. she came this this start of this training camp saying, "I've never really done big jumps." Yeah. Catho just looked at her like, "Strap up your ankles." <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you on Catho's hucking tour of the south of France. And by the end of it, yeah. I mean that camera made that stuff look small. That road gap is big, colossal. That drop into the finish arena is like huge. Mm. Mm-hmm. And she was just sending stuff to the point where we did literally have to strap up her ankles for race day. Mm-hmm. She was just hucking too hard. You know, <laughs> that's not even a joke. Not not from crashing or anything, but just from so many just tough lads. Mm. Um, there's a friend of ours, both mine and Ben, called Pang. And he is the <laughs> Huck Wizard. And he hates, he genuinely detests landing on a transition. He only wants to go to flat. 
just fold the ankles and just go feel the air leave your body and just go <laughs> and um, yeah Pang if you're listening you know she was she is a new generation of Huck Wizard that's it the Huck Witch <laughs> <laughs> yeah right but uh, it was great to see and I don't know um, wrenching her for, the, for her this weekend it really feels like it was great to, just to get the first one out of the way you know we tried to for me it sounds a bit silly but I think it was before qualifying it was like you know she might race downhill for the next 20 years mm. and she might have some fantastically strong results and go on to God knows what mm. but she's only going to have one first World Cup mm. and so just let's not look back at it as a stressful thing mm. let's just go and so we say oh that time it was a fun thing mm-hmm. and as long as she came down with a smile on her face that's yeah. all that we cared about as a team yeah. although Ben was saying if she didn't get a top five she wouldn't have dinner um, but let's, <laughs> let's edit that out <laughs> She managed to sneak some stuff from the fridge, but they were <laughs> away with that. <laughs> and how did you get on, Ben? So you had a bit of a, a nerve impingement in your shoulder. Yeah, we still haven't fully tracked down exactly what's going on with it, but I think going from two months of recovering from a really sore back and not being able to train properly, and then going straight into 10 days of testing and riding downhill, I think my shoulders just got the shock of their lives. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, I just developed a nerve impingement, which might not sound like much. And to be honest, I could ride really well, but just sometimes uh, it would pinch and then my shoulder would effectively turn off. Mm. And uh, that's not ideal. There's some really, really big hits at high speed on this track. And when it happened, I would nearly crash. And I was lucky I didn't have a really bad crash. So made the managerial choice to remove myself from the race. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it is, it's one of those tracks that, you know, you ride some stuff that is rough and some stuff that is fast. Some of the places, if you, I mean, you saw a couple of riders get pushed onto the front end oh, and to do the press up out of it takes a huge amount of strength. Yeah, Miriam did a big old press up. <laughs> <laughs> press, yeah, yeah. How did the weekend align with your expectations? Not just for you, but for the team. Mm. So, I guess you, you always dream, don't you, that, oh, we'll turn up and, I'll just organise things so well that riders will be so stoked that Thibaut's going to get his first ever top 10 and Amy's going to get a podium and it's, yeah, those are dreams. Mm. There are there are situations where that could have happened in universes where that may have happened. But I, I guess the main core goal was I wanted everyone to be happy. I want everyone to have all the things that they needed and I wanted them to have race runs, get to the bottom, post a result, qualify, all mm. that kind of stuff. And we did. So yeah. great success. Well, I, th- I think for, it's funny. I think for teams who maybe had, I don't know, the weekend of their lives, and in some ways it must be quite quite frustrating to have this six, seven weeks, whatever it is, until mm. Fort William. Mm. For us, on the other hand, it's been really good because the new team was still, to us, we're still figuring mm. stuff out, um, and so now we can have this like this reset and mm. come back to Fort William, maybe a bit. I don't know, maybe a bit better structural prepared in some way. Yeah. And that's we've, a really exciting thought. We've got a good platform to build on, mm. whereas maybe other teams are at a peak that it'd be easy to slip off or yes. kind of thing. Yeah, totally. This is also a call out. Does anyone, any pink bike listeners near in kind of that middle part of Scotland want a football table? Because we basically, the very, so we are supported <laughs> by Continental. They very kindly said in like, bit of a mistranslation we thought they were saying would you like branded tables that yeah. sounds great yeah they don't call it football table in german and they delivered this 80 kilogram table 
and our pits are too they're too humble <laughs> it would look I mean we're going to have to remove the water feature to fit the, fit the football <laughs> table in you know um, so it's pretty funny like because I was confused because we also had some tyres being delivered and you know when you used to order like wire bead tyres and they couldn't be folded yeah. and they come in huge boxes Big and box, I thought yeah. they're like we need an extra person to carry this box and I thought one why is there wire bead tyres and two we need four people to carry like eight wire bead tyres what, what have you done for them Yeah. and then it was like what they're like oh so the football table they said the table and I opened it up like what is get, what is this what is this <laughs> yeah but anyway no I, th- I think it was it was a great weekend and um, I mean uh, it, was a, it was actually just great to be mm. I haven't wrenched for a couple of years I've just been a media squid mm. and so I was actually there like before like you know the night before riders might have been envisaging, envisaging the track you know doing the whole like you know you see them with their hands like left mm-hmm. right up down I was there just tight to the right loosen to the left <laughs> Pump up the tire, <laughs> you know. Like, I was still like, I know because basically I've just, you know, stolen a living of this credibility of knowing how to work on bikes, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but going on to some of the tech, we had loads of new bikes and bits of kit. We had the intense prototype, which I found out actually at one point it has the design quirk. If you want to say, if Ben, you came down, and you said, Henry. I want one less click of high speed. You don't just three, get the Allen key out. Three seconds yeah. for our bikes. Yeah. You have to um, you have to take the shock out to change any setting, <laughs> which is now that is when you're designing purely for function. You're like, I want it to work as good as possible, damn to anything else. Yes, yeah, basically. <laughs> but it's alloy. Can't you just drill? Can't you just put a six mil drill bit through there? That's coming in the next front. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's welding it up right Jeff's now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it seems to be working though. Dakota had a really good result. Yeah, I was it, stoked for it. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, that's what you prototype for. Yep. You know, I doubt mm-hmm. it be the production version. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it did, it did look like a bit of a. I would just tell it, yeah, I did it, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> James, what, um, what tech caught your eye this weekend? Oh, there's quite a bit going on actually, wasn't there? First, first World Cup of the year, always, always loads going on. Um, there was a new giant glory that looked like a giant glory. But I'm so stoked to see giant come. It's like when Toyota went to Formula One. Sorry, Mike Levy, I'm bringing up Formula One again. <laughs> but it was cool to see a big. I, to be honest, I wondered if giant would ever mm. update it. It's been around for, I think, 2014. It came out nearly a decade. Nearly a decade. Mm. And so I think it's great to see giant still, well, recommit themselves to downhill. And they've dusted off the old plans and fails <laughs> <laughs> come on let's give this one a go yeah I think Remy Tyrion um, like deserves that right like you mm, wouldn't want to see sure. a, him just like slowly kind of fade out mm-hmm. um, he's still absolutely rapid he still looks wild wherever he goes and like yeah he should have a bike that's up to date and mm. and with all the kind of the modern standards so mm-hmm. um, yeah that, w- that was really great to see and um, there's new bikes from uh, from Raw as well. Their kind of first foray into downhill. Who else was there? There was so we had Cube have incorporated sort of a quick update on their bike because it wasn't actually released that long ago mm-hmm. to have an idler, um, and that looks pretty near to production. And they've kind of done a, a large reworking, whereas Mondraker are using the same front and rear triangles, mm-hmm. but with different links. And they've also got an idler. I think with the Mondraker there was a suggestion that. It basically, you know, I do this like bullshit satire article, and I wrote about five months ago about this bolt on idler, and I don't want to be funny, but they've clearly been reading, you know, been looking for some ideas. No, I mean, joking aside, 
that bike does have quite a high like a high relative pivot anyway mm-hmm. and it's funny because Tebow who's on our team he was on a Mundrake last year and he was running a 38 tooth mm-hmm. in an effort to reduce some of that interference from the drivetrain on mm-hmm. the suspension so they feel like actually now they've put the idler on they can tweak the links to really lean into that mm-hmm. and um, I mean it's still a, a gorgeous looking bike it does the way that it is I mean when you're putting down acceleration you're basically with an idler the chain is just being driven into that top side and there must be quite a lot of force going through it, mm, especially like so. sprinting. And so just to see that small little strut come off a, mm-hmm. a six mil bolt, whatever it is, it does seem kind of like, well, I mean, it obviously, obviously works. Bolt choice. Yeah. I, I actually made one for my uh, old orange bike back Did in the you? day. Yeah, I got a longer main pivot axle made and then just bolted a jockey wheel in. But obviously the bolt for a jockey wheel is tiny and it just sheared off. <laughs> <laughs> Did it? Pedal bit. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Cafe, yeah. you're ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, kind of ahead of the curve. but I'll add design savant into your introduction here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of high-low or medium pivot or whatever you want to call it seems to be maybe where this thing's settling out. Like the yeah. common cell pivot has come down. That cube's pivot doesn't look super high. The Mondraker, again, like it's it's not super mm. high. It's what Nico's designed yeah, now with his frame. That's very settled. Thinking. Um, and instead of an idler, he's using that O-chain mm-hmm. uh, chain ring that gives yeah. a bit of, of of gift to to combat the pedal kickback. Is what the Raw have done. I mean, they already had that on their Madonna. Mm-hmm. But again, they're just like, well, yeah, okay, there's, it's a real axle path with a bit of pedal kickback, but we think it's kind of manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the super, super high pivots are going away and we're settling on this. I don't know if we've even got a name for it yet. Medium, mm. high, low. Is that, sort of is that similar to what the old GTs used to do with their iDrive? Because they had like a reasonably high pivot, and then it would just pull the bottom bracket with the rearward mm. axle path. I'm sure. Sh- I think I feel like they're ahead of the curve. I feel like I'd suppress the image of the iDrive system. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna have to get a psychologist to unlock it. Cause I remember working on that bike, and it was literally like so many cables in so many different directions. Yeah, and just. I mean, it was it was just such a. Mm. I use the word, hmm, maybe it's unfair, but hateful. It was a hateful machine. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like five, six years ago. No, longer than that. Like a 2010 turn of the. Yeah. Oh my god. No. So bad. And always have like, you know, when they try and like color code the cables, but they never do the hoses as well. Yeah. So you just have some like inexplicably red cables and stuff because it looks cool. And yeah. I mean, speaking of someone who was once almost synonymous with. Um, GT Martin Mace he was here mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting because we saw two very different approaches for some top tier enduro riders mm-hmm. we saw Adrian Day who's a Lapierre rider mm-hmm. being able to run an antidote because that's just what he wanted to run I don't know if Lapierre bought him that bike or he's paid for it himself mm-hmm. but basically Lapierre said don't worry about us mm-hmm. you go enjoy your racing and I thought that was absolutely mm-hmm. super cool yeah, I- Isabel was on a new proof oh, was she? bike as well so yeah, yeah they're just like run what you want run what you want which I think is so mm. cool and that's the kind of brand that really kind of gets some respect that approach to racing I mean we had it with for the pink bike team and mm-hmm. um, we have a suspension sponsor mm-hmm. and it isn't the brand that we won this weekend but we got them quite late mm. and they because they care about racing they just said don't, don't even worry about it yeah. just run whatever you come to this weekend we're going to go away we're going to do some testing with you mm-hmm. and I, I love that sort of approach I think it's very earnest yeah. on the other end of the spectrum and not to not to cast shade on anyone but Martin Mace was on that Orbea Rayon with a big Enduro fork mm. bolted to it maybe they changed the stroke or something but it didn't look like they'd done too much 
ultimately he may have had the last laugh as he did have his down tube full of Haribo in, in the lift queue and was snacking and you know I believe at one point second when he bought some guacamole in there and he had a pack of Doritos and he was just <laughs> he was just away. dipping away <laughs> um, but I don't know I would I mean maybe it's a really good thing for them to understand the bike and Martin better in good practice just for mm-hmm. maybe internal team structure but I would love to see them say Martin just buy whatever bike you want mm. instead of making it a big like you know it's like the or Bayer Optimization Lab or something. It's just a bit like, mm. how much optimization can you do getting your teeth shaken out on an enduro bike riding lords? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like doing that kind of testing, you're optimizing it for downhill. It's a bike for racing enduro. Mm. So you're not really going to learn that much in terms of how to set it up for enduro because you've got a big set of 40s bolted to the front of it. The geometry is totally different. And it's, it's more marketing, I would say, than... Uh, actual test I mean how many times can you say the word harsh in Flemish you know like <laughs> yep still 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 not enough travel yeah. go for another one we've added five beers like yep no no still not enough I mean maybe that's being unfair but I do think it's really interesting the way that teams operate and maybe to be fair it might have been Martin's idea because he was running that GT Force even when they had the Fury you know last year with a, with a, with a downhill fork but mm-hmm. I don't know maybe it's just me being a bit overly romantic but I do love teams that actively encourage their riders to be as free and unrestricted as possible mm. and doing the fastest thing mm. not the most marketable thing mm. it's worked though we're talking about it now it got a slot on the pink bike homepage, and i'm sure other website homepages as well are there other you websites <laughs> you seem a part of the problem <laughs> <laughs> but i mean and he qualified top 17 yeah, something he like that he was, like he was good really good he's amazing and yeah, who else was like uh, the Forbidden Team were also mm. on what is mm. pretty much a trail bike. Well, this leads us on to our next point mm. because for this next part of the season, there are rumourings of a Forbidden Downhill bike. Uh-huh. Probably shouldn't have said that, but there are rumourings <laughs> and it's not it's not me that's starting the rumour, even though I'm perpetuating it now and putting it on a massive platform. But that's what that's what the word on the street is. And there's loads of things that can be, you know come around that sort of... Because the way the World Cups work is there are some which are almost more like expos. Mm-hmm. Like Fort William, for instance, is, is a big meeting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Leger will be something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like they have these windows to try and get new tech out. I wonder if the, that new boxer, presumable boxer, will be released for them. They've got that new shock as well. As well as you know, maybe Raw will have released their downhill frame by then. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So going on to Fort William, what what kind of... What, what are we expecting? Do we think we're going to see the common styles still dominating? Are there any riders that you think are really gelling with their teams? Some that perhaps need a bit more time. What do you think the Fort William will be like, James? Yeah, I think we'll definitely see some changes. It's a very, very different track to Lord. Um, so that's going to favour different riders. And you're right. This, you know, this was a really unusual. It's the second earliest World Cup ever. The only earlier one has been in Peter Maritzburg. So it's the earliest European World Cup ever. Um, so riders will have maybe had a sort of truncated off season and you know we talked about maybe not getting all the the kit they need you know compounded by um shortages so yeah i think um we're going to see some changes predictions i mean anyone's better at the moment though i mean i always goes well there <laughs> i'd love to see him yeah. back at it it was weird I to see him ben got a top 10 there oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah let's just get the shoulder sorted first yeah i think reese wilson Wilson, Wilson. He was fifth at some of the splits this weekend, mm. and home advantage. Yeah, he's keen for it. 
Like in his Instagram post, he was like, you know, I was seven over par this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so he's shooting for that first place. So, yes. Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think it should be really good. It's going to be great to go to Scotland. I think, obviously, sort of for you and Amy, it's been cool because we've had the Tebow's track. Mm-hmm. And then you and Amy, poor old Jackson's flung over from Australia. He doesn't get so much of a home round. Looking forward to that. He's going to come over and race the national before. There's a national at Fort William two weeks before, yeah. so we can get testing in him and the new bike, new suspension, and all of that. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. It's going to be really, really good. I'm so excited. I think, um, yeah, because I'm going to fly back to Canada tomorrow, and then we're on, we're actually, me and Ben are driving up to. We're dropping off James. We're driving up to Paris, City of Romance. I believe we booked a hotel. We're going to uh, wind and dined. I heard it was a double. We went. Out, <laughs> we went out in last night and Ben wore the same jumper as me yeah we were we were <laughs> was, looking was, good we were looking much. <laughs> the <laughs> team is gelling too well <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so I'll be then coming back I think sometime at the start of May I'd quite like to come over for a bit of team camp a bit of BDS but we'll see how we go so there's going to be a bit of a delay in this it's all downhill from here racing podcast but we're already excited for the next race thank you very much for watching i hope there wasn't too much ambient noise coming from train station activities but there might have been i we did actually have a citroen that did look like it was on its last legs as it, as it pulled in but thank you very much for listening and um and yeah get in the comments who was your big surprise of the weekend and who do you think is going to carry that momentum forward to the rest of the season thanks guys and we'll catch you next time see ya bye Thank you.